Our next panel will be spotlighting entrepreneurs who've found God-inspired solutions to challenges in their society. I think we should call this section, See I'm Doing a New Thing. On the panel, we have Onyeka Akuma from Farm Crowdy in Nigeria, Anthony Farr from Allen and Jill Gray Philanthropy in Rwanda, Hyun Shumitsu from the Avoda Group in Uganda, who is replacing Jacob Zukasuka, who unfortunately contracted COVID recently, Karabo Chemokwape from the Ubamba Group in South Africa, who will be facilitating this discussion or will be facilitating this discussion, means I can thankfully leave the rest of the name-calling to you, Karabo. The stage is yours. Good morning, good morning. Salam, jumbo to all of you all across uh, Africa. Uh, my name is Karabuche Mukwape, and it's my great pleasure this morning to be facilitating this panel discussion uh, with these three eminent uh, gentlemen who are joining us from different parts uh, of the continent. Uh, we're going to be having a discussion this morning about how it is that we rebuild broken things uh, through the medium of, of entrepreneurship. Uh, as uh, as the good doctor introduced earlier, we're joined by uh, by June, uh, who's joining us from uh, Uganda. Anthony, who is sitting in Tanzania, but is normally based in Rwanda, and uh, Onyeka, who is sitting in Nigeria. Gentlemen, welcome to all of you, and thank you so much for making time uh, to invest in this initiative uh, this morning. Thank you. Hello. Good morning. Gentlemen, good morning. I morning. I want to set the stage for, for our viewers across the continent uh, as we think about how we rebuild broken things. Uh, I, I, I had the occasion many years ago to, to visit Brazil. It was one of the highlights of, highlights of my life. I was there for the millennium uh, on the Copacabana Beach, and it was an amazing experience to, to pass into this millennium uh, whilst there. Whilst I was there, I visited the, the statue Christ the Redeemer, and it was one of the most uh, um, amazing experiences of my life. And, and, and in that, and for so many other reasons, the, the concept of redemption or the identity of God, the Redeemer, has always been for me the most powerful um, identity that God carries for me amongst his many identities. The idea that he redeems all things for those who love him and are called uh, to his purposes. The things that were meant to harm us, he turns them to our good. Uh, I remember being a young believer as well, coming to faith and being really surprised by this. Our faith, our kingdom worldview, is posited fundamentally on the idea that um, of selfless, sacrificial love. On putting, uh, on putting others before ourselves, loving others more than ourselves. It's at the very core of what it means to be a believer. Yet we live in a world with a dominant worldview, which is a capitalist worldview, which is posited on this central concept, which is, which is self-interest uh, and, and, self, and, and really selfishness at its core. And, and I've always found it very odd, even as a young person and to this day, that we as believers have found it as easy as we have to accommodate ourselves to that worldview. Um, we live in a continent, Africa, which really, I think, is beset with strife and conflict and hunger and poverty and all manner of, um, of difficulties. And so much of that is the consequence of self-interest run amok. That's essentially what colonialism was. It was self-interest um, run amok. So the question then for us is, as we sit here at the beginning of this century, looking to to bring God's kingdom um, into, into our sphere of influence uh, as we try and rebuild the broken things, 
how do we reconcile ourselves to that narrative, to that reality, to that past? And how do we allow God to redeem even this thing uh, that we find ourselves a part of? We're all entrepreneurs, we're all business people, we're all trying to find a way to bring God into the world of commerce. Um, I'd like to ask each one of you how you got into into what you're doing and, and what brought you into this uh, into this line of work, uh, this difficult, dirty, challenging, painful uh, thing that's called entrepreneurship. And I'd like to start with you, June. You're a long way from home, um, talking to us from Uganda. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you find yourself here. Sure. Thank you so much. And it's uh, let me just say what an honor it is and what a joy it is to be amongst like-minded Christians uh, who are in the world of entrepreneurship, empowering it. Um, I see Anthony, uh, my good friend there, uh, calling in from um, Tanzania. Uh, and just reminds me of how many people are joining the ranks here and that we're not alone. Uh, I myself, I come from a banking uh, background. I was in uh, investment banking in uh, Japan and then in the UK and Switzerland uh, until I decided to quit. And one of the reasons I uh, quit uh, and went into what uh, I think was uh, described as this really difficult uh, entrepreneurial area was the people in Africa themselves. Uh, I was uh, inspired. I think it was when I was 26, uh, I took a vacation and for no particular reason, I chose Ghana. Uh, I was 26 at the time, that's 13 years ago. And um, I met uh, a driver there uh, who's driving this shiny, you know, a Volkswagen sedan to drive me around. And I was thinking, my goodness, you're, the hotel really has a lot of trust in you and that, that they would give you this uh, beautiful car uh, to just drive around. And he said, no, it's mine. But 12 years ago, I used to be selling coconuts by the roadside. And I said, oh, my goodness, how, how did this happen? And he said, well, I, I learned to save. You know, what little money I made from coconuts, I learned to save. And then I bought something that I know everybody here would love, and that was ping pong tables. And I put the ping pong tables in the middle of the marketplace, and I started to charge, you know, however many city uh, or SETI, uh, the currency in Ghana, is for per game and then it became a smash hit and then i started introducing things like air hockey and things that are social and so people here um in ghana they love sports but also they haven't learned how to save but when you can do both and you know introduce something that people want you have a business and he says you know what um this is my first car but uh, i'm starting a taxi company uh and so in five years I, I promise you, I'm going to have four cars and I'm going to have a company that uh, drives people around just like yourself. Um, two years later, and I promise him, when that happens, I'm coming to Africa and I'm going to start something. Two years later, he emailed me and said, here's my second car. Where are you, Mr. Jude? And so uh, that was a big uh, inspiration for me. And so I did go back this time, though, to uh, East Africa, to Uganda. Uh, and um, I taught uh, a one-week course on entrepreneurship for Christians. At that time, I had no idea how to connect kingdom theology with business. But I said, yes, I'll raise, I raised my hand to a volunteering opportunity. And um, I taught one week that ended in a mock investment pitch. And uh, so I taught for a week and I realized at the last day just how many of the ideas that came out were actually investable. 
me as an investment banker at the time said, I would invest in these businesses and I would uh, invest in these Christians. And so I think that was the turning point that saw me uh, leave my finance career and start African Business Institute in Uganda uh, six years ago and now a VODA group uh, in Japan and uh, Africa uh, just last year. So that's a little bit about me. And um, I, I uh, really look forward to being able to hear other stories and uh, get more inspiration to continue on this path. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that uh, that story. It's incredibly inspiring. Um, and, and to see the extent to which African people have this... Um, this kind of ingenuity, this kind of innovative, mm. sense, this willingness to to find a way, um, uh, and and you've just highlighted just one such story. Uh, I've got a barber uh, who I go to. He's a gentleman from Burundi. I've been going to him for about ten years, uh, and mm. uh, and and I've just seen him, you know, grow in in stature, in wealth, from having you know one chair and one one set of clippers. Uh, and today he, you know, he runs his own salon. And I think uh, if I look back 10 years from now, he'll be running a salon empire. Uh, and, uh, and it's been <laughs> great to kind of see it one haircut at a time, one week at a time over a decade, see a man build his life brick by brick. Uh, Anthony, you're sitting also a long way from home uh, in Tanzania en route to Rwanda, your new home. Tell us please how you found yourself in all of this. Uh, thanks, Karabo. Uh, in fact, there's uh, some similarities with Yun uh, in that, uh, you know, I think if I think of a key moment uh, of, of how I sort of started on this path that you described as difficult and messy uh, in terms of entrepreneurship in, in Africa, uh, it, it really uh, was, and it's interesting, we're speaking about scalable solutions and kind of how to, how to do things um, at scale across the con continent, but yet, uh, for me, the defining moment was actually when God reminded me of of the importance of the one, and and also you know I I was someone that had kind of travelled that financial journey with becoming qualified as a chartered accountant and doing a CFA and all of those good things and and was convinced that that was part of the the solution for the future, um, but yet I think it was I'd forgotten about the importance of of relationship and God is a God of relationship and actually it's about as you said it's about the people and un unless one has a fundamental foundation of understanding the importance of people uh, we we start to to go wrong and 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 my moment was over twenty years ago where uh, I was in Johannesburg and for some reason I found myself visiting a, a local orphanage in downtown Johannesburg, uh, and I met a young young lady, not more than a few years old, called Patricia, and I just spent an afternoon with her. But she was she was the one that that I realised the importance that God put on on the one. And at the end of that afternoon, uh, you know, I, I had I had no more I had no more excuses. I previously uh, some of these things in terms of getting involved in in social welfare and other areas of the HIV pandemic. You know, I said, well, I'm a banker, I'm a financier, I can't get involved. Um, you know, I, I have no medical training, I have no counselling ability, and I disqualified myself. Where's God showed me so clearly that afternoon that actually all we needed was a was a willing uh, a willing heart, and if we just gave time, if we just gave attention, we could see the difference. Um, and so that started a, a journey of of really. Uh, in fact, we started something called the Starfish Foundation, which was about that parable about it made a difference to that one. 
but in in the wisdom of God, as that journey has unfolded, uh, you know, it's it's taken me almost full circle back to understanding uh, the the importance of of finance and enterprise and and how that's so at the center of so much of of God's plans um, for for the continent. And but yet now there's this powerful foundation that that actually uh, you know that 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 needs to be rooted um, in an understanding of of relationship. It needs to be under, rooted in an understanding of of the power of one. It's not just about finance for finance sake. It's not about enterprise for enterprise sake. Uh, there, there's a there's a more powerful foundation, and 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 so that that circle has has completed itself to to come back uh, to finance, but hopefully with a a more mature understanding of of how it should be done. Wonderful, wonderful, and it's amazing how God reaches all of us, uh, how He reaches into our hearts and the people that He uses uh, to reach into our hearts to to move us to action. Uh, it's, it's it's always amazing that He uses people to move people, and uh, and you're sharing how. That's happened for each and every one of us. Um, my brother Onyeka, it's so good to to be with you today. Um, you know, I, I lived uh, a little more than a year of my life in Nigeria, and um, and and I can I can honestly say you haven't lived until you've lived in Nigeria. It's a place quite like any other that I've ever been to uh, in the world. Um, so full of opportunity, so full of. Uh, so many people with so much capacity and education, teeming with ideas, uh, but also, you know, beset with perils around every corner and uh, and to find a way to to live and operate uh, as an entrepreneur, particularly a kingdom called entrepreneur um, uh, is not easy. It's it's a it's a it's a real challenge. And I'd be fascinated. And I'm sure all our listeners would be fascinated to know how you found yourself uh, where you are and how you're continuing to navigate that space as a believer uh, in and amongst all of those opportunities and perils. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited to be on the panel. Um, thank you very much for the opportunity, Carabo. And, and to everyone that's spoken before me, June and Anthony, I'm really honored. Now, speaking about Nigeria, yeah, you're right. This place, the energy here is buzzing. It's, it's a lot of people that are, I think the average Nigerian is an entrepreneur. 50% of us are entrepreneurs by heart. And then the remaining 50, even if we walk nine to five, we still find ways of of bringing entrepreneurship into the the whole game as a whole. Um, For me, as an individual, um, I mean, starting out on this journey, so my dad dad was a pastor. My dad planted a couple of churches uh, um, in in Nigeria. And while he was a pastor, he also had his own medical practice. So he he also had his hospital where he, he, he treated a couple of patients. And... Um, I remember one morning, I, I think that was in um, 96, um, I was in the house and we were having a morning devotion. And there was this particular story that, so that day, it wasn't my dad that that took the morning devotion, it was my mom. And there was this particular story that, that just fascinated me. I just It just stayed with me, but later on, she reminded me of that story. She said to me that um, while talking, I, I think it came out from Genesis chapter 2, where she talked about um, the richness of the Garden of Eden and how four, st- four streams fed the Garden of Eden um, to make it truly what we were all excited about, how nourishing that place was for Adam and Eve. And she turned to Ross Westy Kids, 
we were still kids, but she said it straight to our eyes that um, if you want to be successful, um, you needed four streams of income. Um, if you want to be like the Guardian of Eden, you need four streams of income. And your nine to five, anytime you start working, was one stream. So you needed three other streams. And so that stayed with me then. Um, and sometime in 2002, December 2002, I was in church and I got this word. So two things. One was in Romans 8.16 that um, the whole world was waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And for me, I, I kept on asking, so the manifestation of the sons of God, was it in miracles? Was it in... I, and, and the knowledge I got then was uh, that it was about how we demonstrate God's um, favor with everything we do with our hands. And so that stuck with me again. That was the second time somebody stuck with me. Those were the two words that stayed with me. Um, then I started my career working for a couple of corporates. I had some time in Deloitte, in British Council, um, um, in, in a bank in Nigeria called Guarantee Bank, Guarantee Trust Bank. And then... Um, those two words came to me again. And this time around, they came hard. Because what I found out was that at that time, it was predicted that Nigeria would have about 200 million people. And every day, these people will need what to eat. They will need where to sleep. They will need how to move around. They will need security. They need communication. And so I, I decided to pick my three streams of, 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 of income, or my three streams of wealth, um, that was resonating in my head. And I picked agriculture, real estate, and transportation because I felt... People will eat every day. People will sleep. They need shelter every day. And people will need to move every day. As simple as it was, those were my sectors. So I kept on paying attention to how I built businesses in those sectors. Um, and so I worked for a couple of people. But then I was keeping my eyes on those sectors. And then gradually, I found opportunities to create businesses out of them. And that was pretty much how I started. And, and then just stayed on the promise that God wanted to use whatever it is I was going to do to manifest as one of his sons, and then the influence I was going to get from my business will then have an impact on people's lives. And so I focused on what had impact on people's lives in the millions as against having impact on people's lives in the hundreds. And so those were the sectors that I continue to put my eyes on and consistently ask God for favor every day because sometimes it feels like you don't know what you're doing but every day, one step or the other looks like you actually seen God creating a pattern for you. And so that's how I started and um, stayed humble through the process, continued to learn. And today we just continue to have some impact. In, well, we're not yet in millions, but at least a couple of hundred thousands of people are having some impact as a result of our work. That's amazing. I love that story and uh, and and how you're your parents, the people closest to you, um, uh, sowed those seeds that uh, that kind of have informed these decisions that you've taken over the rest of your life and, and have led you to the success that you've had. Uh, we, we can never be grateful enough to, to have had good parents, and it sounds like uh, you certainly have had that. Um, Jean, I'm going to turn back to you, my friend, and, um, and, 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 and just ask for your thoughts on what redemptive entrepreneurship is and particularly what it is in 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 the moment that we're living through we're living through a time of incredible economic 
inequality, the greatest inequality that we've seen for, for generations. Um, uh, since 1979, the, the, the global uh, economic output has more, than, has more than doubled over the last uh, 40 years. But so much of that uh, growth in wealth and value has, has gone to an ever-decreasing uh, percentage of, of, of the economic actors or of the population. And this is a, a global trend. Um, in, in the context of that inequality, what I call myself the, the apartheid of our times, what does redemption entrepreneurship mean in that context? And what can it do uh, to, to, to speak to this moment? Yeah, excellent question. And um, I think that really lies at the very heart of what uh, everybody in this room today is passionate about, isn't it? Um, so for me, uh, it's a great question. I think uh, redemptive entrepreneurship, or really redemptive anything really, um, is some, when we ask that question, we have to ask ourselves, redeem from what? Right? Uh, what are we redeeming from? And the answer is we're redeeming this world from the curse of uh, Adam, Adam's curse. And so if we were going to uh, take redemptive as a word and we replace it with curse reversing, I think that puts into uh, the right biblical context of uh, what we're supposed to be doing. Um, it simplifies it. Um, a redemptive entrepreneur is an entrepreneur that uses his or her business to redeem his or her sector, her community, uh, nation uh, for Jesus Christ and reverses the curse. And so what does that look like? Um, we teach this in uh, Avoda uh, every day. And that is uh, the fact that, um, first of all, going back to the garden, uh, there was work there. Uh, work was not part of the curse, right? Adam had to name all the animals. And um, I think the implication was also to look after the garden. Uh, but after the curse, after he sinned, what he got was hard work, work by the sweat of his brow, back-breaking work. And that's the curse. And, uh, you know, to reverse that curse, some very key business concepts actually come into play. Uh, one of it is uh, efficiency, right? Um, how do you do, how do you produce more with less, right? How do you reverse the effects of hard work? How do you make hard work easier? So efficiency is, uh, for example, using technology uh, or, uh, you know, increasing cost performance, the amount of work or effort, money you put into something uh, to produce this little profit or this little revenue or this little uh, result. How do we uh, change that uh, multiplier and make it produce more? Uh, and so, in a sense, capitalism uh, is not a bad thing at all. Uh, we know that. Uh, capitalism is not a bad thing. Crony capitalism is a bad thing, uh, which is uh, kind of like what you mentioned, the kind of course in which we're seeming to go as a, uh, as a race, a uh, human race. But, uh, you know, how do we increase efficiency, produce more with less, that is actually a key concept in curse reversal. Another one, I think, uh, it would be something that business people talk about all the time as well. Uh, and this is why business people, entrepreneurs, are so important in the redemptive process. Efficiency, excellence. Excellence is another thing. When we, took, when we take a look at the uh, parallel,
parable of the talents, for example, you know, three servants serving a master who, who travels uh, abroad and says, hey, here are your talents, different amounts, here's yours. And uh, we look at the result of that parable. If you're like me, you tend to focus on um, how the third servant was not a good servant in contrast with the other two uh, servants. But if you take the third servant and look at him alone with, let's say, the other two servants weren't even in the picture, it's not his sin was not the fact that he produced less than the other two. It was something else. Um, the third servant did not produce, uh, was not productive. Uh, and uh, the other servants were productive. The third servant said, actually, he obeyed the uh, commandment to the word, right? Okay, here's the money. Look after it until I come back. He did exactly what he was told. When he came back, he gave the money back. That's exactly what he did. So what was his sin? Well, his sin was that he didn't try to do better. He wasn't excellent. He didn't try to excel. He only did what was expected of him. And that is a culture, I think, that permeates a lot of the world today. Uh, but the sad thing is, if you're a redemptive business, you cannot only do what you're expected to do. You can't just fit the bill. You have to do better. You have to push the boundaries of your industry, of your business, so that it does even better. That is curse reversal. You're taking the world from where it is and through constantly challenging the definition of excellence and good quality, moving it forward, making it even a better place, making the world a better place. There's so many other things. Uh, cooperation is another one. Um, you know, redeeming the brokenness of human community, uh, you know, by learning to save together, uh, building trust, taking loans together as Christian entrepreneurs and Christian businesses, buying equipment together. Uh, for example, the Chinese in Singapore is a very good example. When the Chinese entered Singapore, most of the Singapore were Malaysian uh, ethnically, but the Chinese are the ones who basically uh, started to push Singapore into a new era. And you know what they did? The Chinese worked together, just like Christian entrepreneurs should. They worked together. Uh, they would take their children and say, okay, you intern in his company and his son will intern in my company. We're going to help each other out. And these children are the ones who said, okay, I know the other companies well too. And so I have ideas that my fathers didn't have in which they can cooperate together. And so when it comes to redemptive entrepreneurship, uh, some of the uh, key business principles that we use as catchphrases in business school, uh, they still apply, but they apply in a curse reversing uh, context. Um, so uh, I know my time's up, but uh, there's a lot more to say, but uh, I think I'll let it to, yeah. I think that's an yeah, excellent framing that I've never heard before. Hashtag curse reversal. I love it. Uh, I think that's going to be one of the things that's going to stick in our minds uh, after the session and the minds of all everyone who's joined us. Anthony, please, would you pick up where June has left off and just describe what, what, a redem what redemption looks like in your context and the work that you're doing uh, and how it's different from a regular business, um, a regular business approach to things. Thanks, Grover. I think that 
maybe one helpful way to do it is just to kind of share the example when we say, well, what is what are these um, different type of entrepreneurs look like? And I just thought it'd be helpful to share the story of uh, of one of the the Alan Gray fellows, um, and and really as an example of of how how this might be be different. And so this story starts uh, in very difficult circumstances in in the townships of of South Africa. But you have a a young man, Sia Kruza, who is just kind of enthralled um, by by the power and the possibility of science when he sees for the first time uh, aeroplanes flying over his township. They happen to be dropping leaflets uh, for the 94 elections, but but he wasn't interested in the election. He, he was just enthralled and fascinated by science. And that started a journey, scholarships to great education, even studying internationally. Uh, and during that time, he, he fell in love um, with the problem uh, that, that Maurice spoke about yesterday of, of how do we bring energy uh, to Africa? How, how do we solve the energy crisis of, of Africa? And so he started doing uh, experiments in, in, the, in the laboratories of, of MIT, uh, looking at, at, um, at nano fuel cells, micro fuel cells that would be able to, to power uh, uh, cell phones just uh, with, with their own power without being uh, connected to to the grid uh, and 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 you know he worked like incredibly hard because there was this kind of transcendent purpose of of what he was doing. This wasn't about kind of his own self interest as we spoke about earlier. This was because there was a bigger uh, redemptive purpose in terms of what he was trying to do. Uh, he failed over a hundred times in this uh, attempt to get this micro fuel cell to work. The first time uh, that a small micro fuel cell would be able to power something uh, like a cell phone. And eventually he succeeded. Um, but but then you kind of think, well, great, now he's got this, he's got the patent, everything will happen there. But but sh- sure enough, that was just the beginning of a whole uh, series of, of other elements of, of his journey um, in terms of then coming back to South Africa and wanting to bring kind of different energy dynamics uh, to this country. And we understand, uh, particularly in South Africa, some of the, the complexities of that um, being caught up in, in some of the, the realities of, of government. And, and, and in fact, he was now, because of his kind of profile, he was being tempted to, to be taken away in other directions. He was being offered uh, opportunities in a different type of energy in terms of coal, which was kind of completely against his, his, um, his vision of, of clean energy. Um, he had this opportunity, which was going to bring kind of energy to, to parts of, of, of South Africa, but, but the only way to access that would have been to, to accept uh, or, or to pay a commission of sorts uh, to someone in government. Otherwise, the whole project was going to be blocked. And so he chose to to step away, to walk away completely from something uh, that that was going to to create uh, extraordinary amounts of of energy for uh, for the country, just because of the, the, that commitment um, to to not uh, uh, not being unethical. Uh, and and in the last few weeks, Humans he's now launched Galactic Energy, which is basically a a market for for energy buying and selling, trading energy uh, across across the continent. So we kind of see a, a vision. That will unfold over time, where where people across the continent can be buying and selling energy through this galactic energy. And but the main point of the story is that you know, if we are operating under a normal paradigm, uh, we're looking for the solution. We kind of fall in love with a particular solution. It might be the micro nano, the, the the micro fuel cell, or or it might be the coal. But actually, we've got to we've got to fall in love uh, with the problem. We've got to keep moving towards how how are we going to solve this problem? And and it doesn't matter 
what the solution will look like in the end because the solution will change. But actually, we've got to be driven by by solving that problem. And I, I you know, I think unless we have that that re- redemptive purpose, we, we're going to look for the shortcuts. We're going to look for for those things that are convenient. Um, but actually, if we we have an understanding of what redemption is about, uh, you know, we we will stick with the problem until we get to the uh, get to the answer, which may look very different uh, from how it started. Love that galactic energy, terrific! Uh, I really want to. I want to keep an eye on that story for the years to come, and and I heard it here first. Uh, thank you, Anthony. Um, Onyeka, my brother, we're running out of time, so we're going to power through. We're going to get to some questions from our from our viewers just now, but I just wanted to ask you um, to. As someone who is running your own enterprise day to day, running your own set of businesses, besides the fact that you love Jesus and you pray, what does it mean for you uh, to be running a redemptive business? What kinds of choices have you had to make uh, in the structure, in the processes that govern your business to to redeem it for the kingdom? Okay, I, I think the first thing I've I've found is that, um, and consistently, I'm seeing this consistently. In fact, I was speaking to one of my co-founders yesterday night and um, last night, and I, I told him how I had to change certain things around me, and I started seeing God's favor immediately. I mean, it's not magic, but I just knew that yeah, there were certain things that I needed to 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 try to um, change, and within the two weeks period, I started seeing some changes um, uh, immediately in my business. I think one of the biggest issues is sin. Sin sin um, sin separates, and if if you're gonna build a redemptive business, um, it's one where God is first, and God is first in everything. Right now, as long as you continue to give Him the honor. And you ensure that you always put yourself in a position where you get some direction from him. Seeing um, out of the way um, continues to allow you to have access to God um, from a place where you can get favor from him. Um, I think that's something I'm very, very um, focused on. Consistently every morning, I ask God for mercy and I ask God for favor. Um, I learned from from the likes of um, um, David and the likes of Solomon, um, how they did this. I mean, when I read about these guys, I just look at them like business leaders that I want to emulate in my day-to-day life. And um, that's one of the things I found. The second thing is the veil of ignorance. And and the veil of ignorance for me, I, I find a lot of people want to, want to um, replace ignorance with spirituality, where they leave having knowledge and building themselves with what they need to build their business and grow their business and put aside getting that knowledge for replacing it with speaking into, I mean, you you get yeah, faith, they speak of faith into works and they want to get things to move, but you don't have the knowledge to capitalize on the opportunities around you. You don't have the knowledge to make strategic decisions that help improve your business. And you just want to focus on just the spirituality of growing your business. I think the veil of ignorance is something I have seen that a lot of people um, are used to hinder them. For, for instance, I was asked the question, how do you scale a business across the continent? How do you take it out of Africa? How do you export out of Africa? The, the first thing is how much knowledge do you have about standardization of your service 
to a point where it meets international standards and you can then export it. If you don't have that knowledge and you just have raw talent and you speak and you pray and you want to export, you will struggle to get that item out of your shores of your country at scale. So the veil of ignorance is something also I have noticed that I think that people, and consistently, I am always looking for knowledge. I'm always reading about um, my sector. I always want to develop myself on a day-to-day basis. And then the third thing is that whole doubt that people have. So people just have this thing with them where um, I have the yes, maybe no um, syndrome, and they don't make decisions fast and walk with them with faith. So you've, you have, you've, you've dealt with seeing, you've taken all the knowledge you have. Now it's time to make a move and take action. Um, usually results come only when actions are taken. And you find very few people want to take action. Few, more people want to talk about situations. More people want to talk about problems. More people want to talk about the challenges. Very few people want to take action. And in taking action, um, there's that fear of what if it fails? What if I, I look stupid? What if I'm going to be um, what if I'm going to not succeed? I've even seen the fear of what if it succeeds? What happens to my spirituality? What happens to my relationship with God? And so that whole fear factor around what decision to make and doubt hinders a lot of people from making decisions. Um, the last thing is just pure laziness. I see so many people that um, replace, um, I mean, the smart work, hard work, um, there's excellence that's pushing the boundaries. But you just find a lot of people don't want to move a needle and are consistently in the news talking about I mean, watching the news and talking about the people in the news, but would not move the needle to do anything and take any action. So those things are things that I personally have done my best as an individual. And every day I continue to grow on them. I try to stay um, true with God, reduce as much as possible. There's no man without sin. But I try to reduce mine as much as possible. I try to remove the veil of ignorance on me to continue to build myself and grow. I try to consistently find ways of taking action without thinking so much about the yes, maybe, and no's of the actions I have to take. As long as I have direction from God, I am moving. And then the last thing is I try to make sure I deal with the spirit of laziness and make sure that I'm really doing something out there. Thank so you. these are some things that have, done, that have worked for me. Much appreciated. Time is, uh, is, is against us. We're powering through to the end. We've got two questions from the floor. I'll, re- I'll give the first one to you, uh, June. Um, I, like you, have lived all over the world. I've lived in more than 50 countries. And one of the things I know is that no two places are alike. Uh, and what applies in one place doesn't apply to another. One of our uh, viewers is asking June, what did you have to leave behind when you when you made this transition from your work in banking in Asia and in and in Europe and and when you moved into the African context? What what preconceptions, ideas, or things that worked in your previous context uh, have you had to issue as part of your uh, work in your new context? June, are you with me? Thank you. Um, yeah, it's a great question. And I think uh, one of the main things is uh, when you live in... Hello, can you hear me? Yes, please carry on. There's a slight lag, but we can hear you. Yeah. Okay. I think the main thing is that uh, when uh, you come from Japan or Switzerland or the UK, um, the keyword scale 
scale you can scale easily because there's a market for it uh and uh, when i uh, there's a market for every need if there's a need people are willing to pay for it and there's enough of a market but when i came to uganda uh in malawi and a lot of the uh nations here i realized that scaling is not uh is not just about how much you can produce uh it's difficult to scale in an uh environment where uh, there is so much need, but very little market need. Uh, there's a lot of need, but not enough people are able to pay for it. And so um, the uh, way that we're trying to deal with that situation is um, through offshoring uh, and outsourcing businesses. In other words, you can't have a business in Africa that is trying to just scale in Africa because you're not going to get the kind of revenue uh, or profit uh, that you know you would be uh, that that the amount of work you're putting into uh, reaps, but if you can get work from uh, the United States or Switzerland or Tokyo uh, and have people uh, trained in Africa to uh, serve these needs, such as uh, desktop, uh, sorry, uh, website uh, designing, uh, virtual accountant, virtual assistant, uh, call centers. Uh, thought leadership, uh, article writing, research. These things can be scaled from Africa, from African workers and African entrepreneurs because there is a market for it overseas. And today everybody speaks the international language of Zoom and uh, of Google Meets. And so this kind of work, this is something that can be scalable. Uh, and so the biggest lesson for me was that scaling is uh, only possible uh, to to the size of which your market is. And today, your market, depending on your product and service, is global. So you could make use of that. And I think um, given the fact that there are so many Christians in Africa, where I come from, Uganda, 86%, uh, this is one of the ways that we hope we can impact the rest of the world. A lot of them are secular. Japan is 0.1% Christian. I want to connect uh, these uh, these two countries, Uganda and Japan, um, by uh, outsourcing businesses, giving Africans ability to scale and giving Japanese people, for example, access to the gospel. Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, June. Anthony, the very last question before we're done. Uh, and it's a fascinating question from, the, from one of our viewers. Uh, we've obviously focused our discussion very much on redemption. And the question the viewer is asking is, uh, what is the interrelationship between redemption and repentance? Can we can we achieve true redemption without applying ourselves to the process of repentance for the sins of the past that have produced the Africa in which we find ourselves? Nice question to finish with. Um, yeah, I think um, yeah, we can't... Uh, uh, you know, we almost there's a pretense of of redemption if if we uh, if we haven't fully uh, acknowledged and and embraced uh, repentance and maybe the way to think about that is that you know, 
yeah, there, there's a comment that that essentially the, the the kind of entrepreneurial spirit is is the human spirit. Um, yeah, that there's there's something within all of us that wants to create, that wants to to pursue um, enterprise, and so and and you know we're made in God's image. So so there's there's incredible power in in enterprise, and that's that's what kind of creates the the level of greed and and the level of 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 kind of abuse that comes from the system because it's it's sort of unmediated um, in in terms of that, that that sort of fallen world and and so you know, un, unless um, unless we we kind of take that extraordinary power of, of enterprise and and submit it fully uh, to to the realities and the truth of of God um, it, it will have uh, the sort of unintended consequences that we've seen that have ravaged um, the continent and and so you know, I think we we have to understand um, you know, what what is it going to take in terms of moving it forward and it can't we we have to are we starting at a point in time where we have to acknowledge um, the sins of the past and look at, at how we can uh, address those in a meaningful way I mean there's lots of, of things that we can do in terms of market creating innovation and and creating different opportunities um, in, in terms of of where the continent is now but but I think there you know, this is where true redemption can can happen in terms of repentance of of we've spoken about the global market and 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 how what does that look like I mean these are are, are incredibly tough questions but I, I think that then we start to see uh, a, a way of 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 doing business a way of of enterprise um, that is truly something different to to what the world has seen before and then we're going to start to see the fullness of the genius of of God and and his revelation as we move forward. <laughs> Anthony, thank you so much. June, thank you so much. Onyeka, thank you so much, gentlemen. It's been such a great pleasure spending this morning with you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your insights, your experiences, and uh, and you've been a great blessing to all of us. Uh, we wish you all well as you continue to do your kingdom work, and uh, and we hope to see you soon when we do uh, Ziwani Point 2 a year from now. Uh, hashtag reverse the curse. Thank you, everyone. Have a great <laughs> rest of your morning.